at one text tonight, three over the next three weeks of September left, responding to Jesus' love. That's what I basically asked you to talk about tonight. There are many groups, or in large, general, that in the Gospels, it says Jesus loves them. He loves the world. God loves the world. But can you tell me, off the top of your head, someone, and there's only a few, that it said that Jesus loved them personally. It actually makes the statement in the gospel somewhere that Jesus loves this person individually. Yes. Okay, John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's one. Two more. Okay, Gatians, Lazarus. John 11, so there's two of them in 11. In it. So there are two people, those are believers who were disciples or followers of Jesus, but the one left doesn't have a name, but he, and he's not a believer. Jim? The rich young ruler. And that's our text, the rich young ruler. It's in all the synoptic gospels, which is Matthew, Mark, and Luke. If you'll turn to Mark's version of the story in chapter 10, we're going to look at it tonight. We're going to look at the other ones a little bit, too. While you're turning there to Mark chapter 10, we'll read to verse 17 in a minute. It's good to note that if you read all the Matthew, Mark, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all of them place this story in what's called the travel narrative segment. The travel narrative segment is the last trip that Jesus takes to Jerusalem as he goes there to die on the cross. So most commentators say when you read these chapters, you should look at the events, not as simply isolated, but events in the shadow of the cross, because all of them are part of that journey, his last journey there. And so I say that to you to say this, when you think about responding to Jesus' love, it's not just the love that's, can I say, sentimental, it's not just a love that you know, makes you feel good. This is a cruciform love. This is a love that's going to love you and it's going to have a cross involved in it for Jesus. It's going to involve pain and suffering and, and difficulty. And so when you come and he loves people, I want you to see, we, when we named a lot of, what we say tonight? Knowing and experiencing Jesus' love, the effects of it. Um, so I want to show you tonight how vital it is to have the effects of Jesus' love be true in your life. It's the difference between being saved and unsaved, and you'll see that in the text here a little bit. Verse 17 reads, and as he was setting out on his journey, that's the journey to Jerusalem, a man ran up, read the Gospels, and you'll find the people who run is because there's something they're intense about. There's something they're fervent about. So this man is not just coming up for a casual conversation. And he knelt before him, which to show great honor and respect. And he asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And then he tells him, the commandments. And he uses the second half of the Decalogue. So there are ten commandments. The first about God, 
the first part, and the second part are about people, loving God and loving people. And Jesus doesn't say anything to him about the first part because the man has already assumed that he does that. But Jesus wants to bring into question whether his love for God is real by the way that he loves others. And so he asks him about the relational commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not fraud, honor your father and mother. Now notice his response. And he said to him, Rabbi or teacher, all these have I practiced or I kept from my youth. But he didn't. But he thought he did. But he didn't. And Jesus is going to make it clear to him that he really didn't. And he said to him, or Jesus said, looking at him, here's our line. And Jesus looking at him, loved him. So he looked at him and looking at where he is, how he sees himself, how he sees Jesus and all the other things in his life. You lack one thing. It's the same Greek word, lack, as Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. This man, even though he said that he had kept Torah from his youth, he was deficient. There was something lacking. And you know the question is, how do I have eternal life? So he he didn't have eternal life. And notice that Jesus tells him why he doesn't have it. And he says to him in verse, I'm sorry, I lost my place here. And he says, verse 21, you lack one thing, go sell all that you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. Now, I'll straighten up right now. Jesus is not saying you can buy your way into heaven by doing good things and spending your money on other people, especially the poor. He's not trying to say that you can work your way into heaven any more than what... That's why he mentioned the Torah references. He's not saying that at all to him. He's saying that you have what? You have a problem. The problem is is that you have treasures on earth and you don't have them in heaven. That's the problem. He preferred money we would say today, and all that goes with it over Jesus. He had treasure problems, if we could put it that way. So let me have you look at the text with me a little bit more carefully, all right? And we're going to look at what that means for you and I. So one of the things, if I could put it this way, is that the effect of Jesus' love and that you should respond to his love should be this, is that you treasure him supremely, That's what we're going to talk about tonight. The next two weeks, we're going to talk about trust him supremely. So the two effects that we're going to work on is that when Jesus loves you, here's what should be an effect, that you treasure him supremely above everything and everyone else. What I learned in my children's lives as they were growing up and made professions of faith in Christ that weren't real, I realized that there is a big difference between Doing decisions and doing desires. Big difference. Do you know that there's a lot of people that can do this, anybody can do a decision, um, i.e., no farther than our Gospels, Judas made a decision to follow Jesus, but he was lost and satanic. So 
Anybody can do a decision, but you cannot work up and make up wonder and amazement at the love of God and the beauty of Christ. You can't. You can't work it up. So when my kids asked me, my boys, when they were older, um, in their older teens, do I think you're saved? I said, no, I don't. No matter what you might have said in the past, and here's why, because you don't have Jesus as your treasure. You don't. He's not the greatest thing in your life to you. And this is what Jesus said to this man. This is the one thing that he lacked. See, he had what it meant. He knew what it meant to believe in who Jesus might be. But he didn't treasure Jesus enough to make a decision about changing it. I would tell you this tonight, that when Jesus loves you, here's what he loves you for. One of the many things. When Jesus loves you, he reorders your love for him and other things. Let me say it again. When Jesus loves you, here's the effect, that he reorders your love for him and other things. The verse, in fact, there aren't very many verses in the Gospels that talk about treasures in heaven. Hold your finger here. I want to show you the version of this story in Matthew's Gospels. Turn back just a few pages. Matthew 19, the young man said to him, all these I've kept from my youth, what do I still lack? Verse 20. But Matthew 19, 21, Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, now see that's what he, if you'd be perfect, if you would, like John says, if you would put loving God and make it complete by loving others, See, then you could say that you have eternal life. Go sell what you possess and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. So the guy needed to have a conscious preference for God. He needed to treasure him above all things. But when the man heard this, he went away sorrowful. Listen, he had great possessions. It is not the word bios that means the things of this life like material possessions. It isn't the word for money. It isn't the word for any of those things. This is the Greek word for owning property. I have a little bit of an idea about what this might have been going on here. He is asking Jesus in all three of the texts, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Inherit is always a word referring back to the promised land and God by faith giving them Canaan and all the tribes and individuals an inheritance in that land. So if you are an Israelite and God has given you inheritance, the land is sacred to you and you don't sell it, your piece of land and property easily because it is everything to you. You look at it as this is the future because God has promised to bring us back into the land and give us freedom again. So in light of that symbol, you keep your land and you farm your land and you work your land. This guy had a lot of it because the Bible addresses that phrase with or adds that phrase many. He had much property. He had a problem because he preferred what he got out of his inheritance physically here and the money that went with it instead of what it was really for 
He got much more out of that than what he would have got from what he thought he would get from an inheritance in the future if Jesus is going to be the one who restores it all. And so this guy had a preference for things here, and it showed up because he didn't love the things there. And here's how you know. The Bible says that when he heard the words of Jesus, it literally is the saying that Jesus told him, he went away, ready, emotional word, sad. He went away sorrowful because he had those possessions. Now see, here's the guy's problem. You and I know it very well at times. We've seen it in other people. He comes running up to Jesus. He's super excited, right? Until he recognizes that Jesus wants him to go sell everything he has. Now that is not something that everybody has to do to follow Jesus, but this guy had a problem. All the things that he was holding on was keeping him from making Jesus the supreme treasure of his heart. And so for Jesus to get at that point and help him to see it, He commanded him to go sell everything he had and to make Jesus his treasure because he says, if you go sell everything, give it to poor, come and follow me. I'm your greatest treasure. I can tell you, this is what we need in our our, our young people today. We really need to look in their lives and look at our own at the same time. Anybody can make a decision. You cannot, except through the Holy Spirit of God, stir up desires you cannot. You know this, that in, in the text in, our, in Matthew 19 shows you very perfectly. In fact, it's our text for the, for the school this year. That the answer to the disciples, when they say this rich guy, this ruler, he can't enter the kingdom, which is three times. He can't enter the kingdom? He's not really going to be saved? He's not going to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, how hard is it for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom? It's like a camel going through the eye of a needle. It's impossible It's impossible. So here's what he's saying. Do you know to be saved, to have a faith like this, is not something that you can get. God has to create it. That's what my boys lacked. Because they didn't have salvation that he created. They worked up decisions when they were little, but that was all there was to it. And this man, see, he needed to have a conscious preference for God. Now, I want to show you examples of what this would look like. Sorry? So we were in Matthew right now. I'm going to go a little farther and let you show what your desires would be if Jesus has given you true faith. Matthew chapter 10, just turn over a few pages back, in verse 37. So when you have been affected by the love of God in Christ Jesus, you will love or treasure Jesus supremely. That looks like your relationships to your families will be altered. In Matthew 10, he says in verse 34, Do not think I've come to bring peace onto the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Why? Because Jesus is going to stick a sword in there. You know what the sword is? A supreme treasuring of him. Whoever loves father or mother, key word, comparative, more than me, is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me 
is not worthy of me. What would you have to do in order to love him supremely above the closest people to you in your life? Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. He says, you're not worthy of me. You can't follow me. You can't be with me. Because you have to love me supremely. So in our lives, it's good for us, isn't it? From the time I got married, I began to pray a prayer regularly. And I would still to this day try to say, God, I love you supremely. And I love everything else proportionately. Augustine, read it, it's well worth it. He has a whole section on a well-ordered love and what it looks like. But to love Jesus supremely means to love everything proportionately. He, who, he says we have to love everything in light of our supreme love for him. Everything is less than that. And so I love my wife secondarily. And I love my children secondarily. And I want them to know that they are not the one who's supreme in my heart. He is. And I can tell you this. It is the number one thing that you can do for your wife if you want to have a good marriage is to not love her more than God or your children. Because let me tell you this. If you do, you won't say the things they need to say. You won't do the things they need to be done in their lives. And you won't discipline them because you're afraid to lose them because you have elevated their, your love for them above God. And sometimes it looks like this, that you don't let your kids go places, you don't let them take mission trips, you won't do because you're too safety conscious, which is the plague of our culture. Loving Jesus supremely means I hold everybody else proportionately. Paul the apostle knew this because it's what happened when he got saved. Philippians chapter 3, please. You know this text. His treasure and what he treasured the most used to be verses 4 through 6 of chapter 3. The things he thought where his treasures were, verse 3, he was circumcision, worship the Spirit of God. He says, though I myself have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh. That used to be his treasure. Circumcised the eighth day, the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews as to the law, a Pharisee as to zeal, persecutor of the church as to righteousness under the law, blameless. That's what he treasured. What everyone thought of him, what everyone appeared to him, the power, the prestige, and all the things that went with it. But, verse 7 says, see, when he got saved, he did not just make a decision he was changed radically on the inside with what mattered most to him. His treasures were traded. But what things, and he uses gain loss, and by the way, same words Jesus used to talk about when you get saved in Mark 8. He who what? If you gain the whole world and lose your own soul, it's the same message. And this is just what Paul did to live it out. He says, what I gain, whatever I gain I had, used to be, I counted loss for Christ. Indeed, and in verse 7 and twice in verse 8, he uses the little word dia, and it means on account of. Let me show you what it looks like. But whatever gain I had, on the account of Christ, I counted it as lost. On the account of Christ. And he's, but this is important, stick with me. Indeed, 
It wasn't just that he counted those things in verses 4, 5, and 6 lost. Eventually, here, here's what he came to the realization. When you get saved and God works in you and changes you, not just your destiny but your desires, you count everything lost. Everything lost, he says. Why? Here it is. Because of the surpassing worth. Because Jesus has become my supreme treasure, my above all treasure. And there wasn't, not just the things he used to be religiously, but everything in his life, everything in his life now took second place to Jesus. He was supreme in the affections of his heart. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Now, please underline it. Because it is the key part of the verse. In order that. See what happens? In order that. Here's the purpose. Here's, when ha- here's what took place when I got saved. I prefer Christ first now. Above anyone and everything else. And, and, and let me tell you how this helps you. When Jesus loves you and you treasure him in response. You know what it does for you? Listen. It helps you make it through when someone that you love dies. Why? Because there is no cancer, there is no sickness, there is no financial struggle, there is no emotional problem that you face that can be any greater than him. There is no treasure that you could lose. Your stability, your finances, a loved one, a family member, you couldn't lose anyone or anything that isn't more of a gain than he is. That he is. In order that I may gain Christ. Chapter 1, verse 21. For me to live is... Come on. And to die is... To die is gain. How can you say that? Only if you have lived a life where the inside has been turned and transformed completely into where Christ is your treasure. What you value supremely. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, if you would. This is the inner workings of faith. This is how it works when someone gets saved. 2 Corinthians 4, 2, but we we have renounced disgraceful, unhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word by the open statement of the truth. We would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. And what happens to unbelievers when that changes? Listen, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. So they cannot see the supreme treasure that Jesus is. They look at you and think, how many times with church? How many weeks do you go to church? How many times a week? You read your Bible, what? You do this, you give how much money? They can't imagine it. They're blind to it. They can't see the beauty of Jesus, right? We're going to see next time in John 11. Remember in 
what Jesus said when they could not see the reality of his glory and all they could understand and see was that Lazarus died and Jesus didn't make it when he could have. That's all they could see. And Jesus says to them, didn't I not tell you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? So lost people, unbelievers, cannot see the realities that you and I take for granted. The rich young ruler could not see how much better it would be to follow Jesus now and lose everything in this life for the next. He couldn't see it. But what happens when God works in someone's life who's spiritually blind to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Pray for people for friend day. Pray this way, that God, you would open their blind eyes that they could see Jesus. Let me ask you to pray a little bit more, because here's what the gospel is. The gospel is not just an offer of a vaccination against damnation. It is that. It's more than that. It is an offer of Christ as an unequal treasure. He's an unequal treasure. We want to tell people this. There is, listen, and our kids desperately need to know this, there are alternative treasures in this world. You know that, right? Alternative treasures. There are things that vie for their love and their affections every single day. That's why it's important to monitor what they do on their phone and the movies they go to and what they watch on TV and who their friends are. You know why? Because Satan wants to blind them to the all-surpassing worth and treasure that is in Jesus. He wants to do it to us, too, every single day. But here's what it says. That's what Satan does. But here's what we do when we evangelize. We proclaim it for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Christ is Lord in ourselves, your servants for Jesus' sake. For God said, let the light shine out of darkness. So here's what Jesus does. Without this, it's impossible to be saved. He says this, light shine, just like he, just like he did in creation. Imagine this. If you could have been there on day one, literally, when he said, let there be light, when there had never been light at all. And out of the darkness, light shone just at the command of his word. That's what he does when people get saved. He commands and says, let there be light. And light reflect, reflects off his glory into their hearts, it says. And for the first time, they are able to open their eyes and see Jesus for who he is and the supreme treasure of our life that he is. And they now have the knowledge of the glory of God, what, in the face of Jesus Christ. That's what happens. And everything changes. Now watch. After the miraculous new birth, what does verse 7 say? But we have this, underline it, treasure. It's the Greek word thesaurus, a treasury of words. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that their surpassing power belongs to God. The supreme treasure of his worth, the supreme treasure and surpassingness of his power, that's what moves us in our lives. What would it look like, Pastor Walker, if me and my children made decisions based on Jesus' infinite value and worth? Moses is going to tell us 
in Hebrews chapter 11. Please turn there. Last one. What does it look like on a day-to-day basis that we would treasure Christ supremely as an effect of knowing and experiencing that he loves us? Because he loved this man. This man did not let this effect take place in his life. Moses did. Verse 24, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, we would know this to be when he's about 40, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, I want you to underline these words real quick. Ready? They're all internal workings. And they are decisions. Remember what I told you? Anyone can make decisions. And he does, but I want you to watch. There's more. So he refused. He said no. And then verse 25, he said yes. Choosing. Underline that. Then it says, to enjoy the fleeting pleasures, and he considered the reproach greater. See the words? He was rejecting. He was choosing. He was considering. Those are all things that you're doing in your mind and in your heart. You're making decisions. And listen, but these decisions were not void of his mind, and they were not void of his desires. Because... Things that he's doing is comparing it to the treasures in Egypt. So get that in your mind. Watch it. Let's do it again. He considered the reproach of Christ. Circle it because it's comparative. Great tour. We do not tell our kids or lie to ourselves and believe that there aren't pleasures in the world. We don't, oh, don't go that. Don't do that, kids, because you'll never be happy. They could be. <laughs> they could be. But it's not permanent. It's what? Fleeting. Temporary. So it's, it's a lie to say that there's not pleasures in all the bad things in the world, because there are. But they just don't last. So he says, choosing, he refused to be called the son of, choosing rather. See, that's a rather than. More than, rather than, better than. Those are the comparative phrases in the scriptures. Choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Now, look at this. And this is what is missing. (laughs) Listen. He is saying on this side, power, authority, you are in the palace. You are the royal family. You have all of this money, ease, everything, your whole life. And then on this side, slaves, working with the slaves, reproach for the slave, suffering with the slave, King, slave, happiness, reproach, hard li- easy life, hard life. And here's what he says. Oh, this one over here? Oh, it's way greater. This is so much far better. Who thinks like that? How would someone come to you, hey, how about a million-dollar career or you can make 20000 a year? You'd say easy one, right? Oh, depends. But here's what Moses said. Greater, greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. So he didn't deny there were treasures. He just had this. He had God work so much in him and changed him through the real salvation he had that it totally changed his preferences. He had a new want in his life. He wanted lasting treasures. 
And so the old treasures that used to do it for him no longer appealed for, to him any longer. How did he do that? Well, by faith, let me back up a little bit, for he was looking to the reward. That's what they did before Hebrews 12, verse 2, looking unto Jesus. I would tell you this, that Moses looked to the reward, and I think it was that he knew that Jesus was coming because earlier in the verse it says the reproaches of the Messiah. He was looking forward to the day that the ultimate Moses would come. And he was looking for him, and that's the reward he was looking for. He didn't get it. He didn't want it from the palace. He didn't care about Pharaoh anymore. It totally changed, completely upended his value system, the inner workings of it. He considered, he considered, he changed the way he looked at things, looked at people, looked and valued things. By faith he left Egypt, verse 27, what you guys said before, not being afraid of the anger for the king. He didn't, have to, he didn't care about the wealth anymore. He didn't care about the power. He didn't care about the prestige. And he didn't care about whether these guys had all the power and would make him afraid. Didn't, he didn't bother him anymore. And what was the, how did he do it? He saw him who is invisible. He had had his eyes opened. The blindness was gone. And he could see the supreme treasure that Jesus was for him. Let me ask you, is that you? Is Jesus the supreme treasure and satisfactions of your heart? What do your kids, what do you love the most? No, not what you say you love the most, but what you really do. What is your conscious preference? Do you make those choices when you have every day an opportunity to demonstrate I tell my kids all the time, it, does, it isn't mainly and mostly the big ones that you think. Oh, you know, I could have done this and really compromised my life, and I, and I didn't. No, you know, it's the little things. It really is. It's the little things about being on time to hear and, and communicating God's infinite value and worth because I love him, and I want to be here, and I want to be here on time, and I want to come early because I want to talk to people, and I want to have a ministry, and I'm going to be at friend day, and I'm inviting people. And th see, those aren't monumental, life-changing things that everyone's going to remember. But they show the infinite value of Christ, that it's okay if I stay up a little late. It's okay if I get up a little earlier. It's okay that I spend a little bit more money on God and his people. It's okay. You know why? Because I want everybody to know this is what moves me. This is what is supreme in the affections of my heart. This is what I want people. And Moses proved it, and he made a public decision that changed the entire trajectory and course of his life. See, that's what it means. That's what the rich, young ruler lacked. He didn't have that. Do you? Do our kids? Do your kids love video games more than they love God's word? Do they love to be with their friends more than they would in God's house? See, those are not things that we can overlook because they tell the story, the story of our lives. What we desire really matters. The rich young ruler, he didn't have that. Jesus wasn't supreme in his affections of his heart. And it made all the difference in the world. It was for Moses, it was for Paul, and it was for the early church. 
By God's grace, let it be true of us. Let's pray. Father, help us. Help us to respond rightly to your love. It is a deep and great concern of the authors of Scripture. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, the love of Christ compels me. It moved him. It moved him to take risks. Oh, Lord, do we do that? Oh, not unnecessary risks. Not risks that we want to paint a picture of how pious we are. But do we risk anything for Jesus? Do we sacrifice anything? Oh, Lord, perhaps your love isn't what moves us. Maybe it's not as supreme in the affections of our heart as we thought. Oh, Father, I pray, let it be different. Move in our hearts through your word, by your spirit, that is shed abroad that very love in our hearts, as Romans 5, 5 says. May we see gains and losses differently. May we see money and people differently. May we see what values are most important to you and should be important to our family. May we build our lives around them. May we not just give token allegiance to them. Oh, but may we live it out and communicate to a world that does not value you whatsoever that you are the most infinite treasure in the universe. May all of our decisions and all of our desires, both small and great, demonstrate your infinite value and worth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.